Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacevic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Brian Johnson to the podcast. Welcome, Brian. Hello. So, Brian, it's a pleasure having you on. And those that may not be familiar with you, you are chairman of the ICML. You're involved with lubrication in a bunch of different areas, and you still got a day job working around lubrication. Although super brief, can you provide a brief introduction to yourself? Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, I've uh, worked at the Palo Verde uh, Generating Station, which is a nuclear power plant near Phoenix, Arizona, for almost 30 years. And I've been the uh, lubrication engineer at the facility for that entire time. So uh, I'm a frontline worker, and I, I work with the plant. I work with maintenance and, uh, and all the other different aspects. Uh, company has been very generous to support me in industry initiatives. One of those would be to allow me participation in ICML. And I'm a member of the board of directors of ICML, so I've had a chance to be involved with certification and asset management. And the other thing that's been quite interesting, I got involved with ASTM about 30 years ago. And I did so because we introduced an on-site uh, oil testing laboratory at our facility, and I wanted to understand it better. And, and that uh, grew into a, a subcommittee that uh, deals exclusively with condition monitoring of lubricants. And that's something we may also want to talk about during the, the course of our discussion. All right. Excellent. So over 30 years being involved with lubrication one way or another. So you bring a tremendous amount of experience, especially from some of the industry groups, those sorts of things. And what I really wanted to talk to you today about is more and more organizations are considering doing on-site oil analysis. And I want to understand what are the advantages, disadvantages of doing so? Why would we want to do it on-site versus contracting it out? Those sorts of things. So to kind of kick us off, I guess, many organizations are looking to bring that analysis on-site. What are the benefits of on-site oil analysis? You know, that's actually a really good question. Uh, that to me, the uh, primary benefit, I, I believe, for an organization is helping to develop the people so they understand oil analysis. So in having an on-site oil analysis laboratory, the practitioner has a chance to uh, look at test data, uh, compare the test data to the color of a sample that comes in, uh, to also be able to go into their plant and get other information about how the machine is running and then kind of take all that information together to enhance their knowledge of, of lubricants, of the machine, of the machine health. So I, I think that the primary benefit is in helping sharpen the skills of the people involved on site in support of the lubrication program. Uh, perhaps another very obvious benefit would be that uh, an in-house capability allows the facility to get almost immediate feedback on uh, pending problems. All right. Excellent. So we're able to create more awareness, more education, more expertise in lubrication and oil analysis when we do it on site. Plus we get the quicker feedback. So if we're dealing with an issue or trying to monitor, we get much quicker results. We get better real-time feedback, correct? 
Yes, and, and kind of an interesting side point on that. Uh, the, uh, the the maintenance organization at my facility is, is very, very active and involved in, in the machines. And they'll sometimes uh, bring us a, an, an oil sample. We do have an on-site laboratory. And they'll bring us an oil sample to have us tell them if the machine is okay. You know, they have some kind of suspicion and they want us to, to validate or or uh, uh, determine that their uh, suspicion is not correct <clears throat> before they, they uh, place the machine in service. So I, I think that's kind of counter. It's, it's almost not uh, quite intuitive, but uh, the purpose of oil testing is to keep the machines very healthy. And at our facility, we use this to validate that the machine is healthy when we have any concerns. All right, excellent. Now, when we have an on-site oil analysis program, how do we ensure that we're getting accurate, repeatable readings? How do we know we're getting the consistent results that we need from that from that analysis? And, and that's another really difficult question. I, I believe in some, uh, some level, we are beholden to the instrument manufacturer and to the, uh, the hard work they put into making their instruments as viable and, and effective as possible. But in order to know what that means, uh, there, there are two ways that I can think of. Uh, uh, one would be to, maybe three ways. One would be to, to carefully follow the instructions of running the test. Uh, it it uh, sometimes can be easy to modify or shorten a test. And when we do that, it introduces uncertainty in the data. So that's a problem. Now, I've been involved with ASTM for many, many years now. And one reason I, I became involved was to support our own on-site oil testing laboratory. And that was to, to understand what, what the data meant and what precision was and what accuracy was. And so any test that we uh, run will have a, a band of accuracy. Uh, think of it in terms of a plus or minus range. And presuming that we run the test uh, to the instrument's uh, uh, requirements to the OAM manual, uh, the, the data we get back is going to have a plus or minus. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes we'll accept numbers at face value. If we get a 12 and then we get a 14, we think that we've had an increase of 2. Now, if the instrument has a plus or minus 10 ppm value, then we, we don't really know what we have. So understanding what the instrument is capable of is really fundamental to all of this. Now, in terms of the ASTM piece, a great many instruments in the, uh, in the last uh, 20 years through the Condition Monitoring Subcommittee have been standardized. And part of that process is to run uh, round robins to define uh, test instruction. What a round robin would be, would be a cooperative effort of many laboratories running uh, the same test on the same sample and then statistically comparing the results to find out how repeatable the instrument is. So in doing this, uh, one would have an idea of how accurate their instrument is. All right, excellent. So we need to understand how accurate our instruments are. We got to select the right ones. And then I'm sure there are standards that we need to follow to ensure that how we perform the test, how we collect the samples is consistent and to industry standards. Are there those available to us? In some cases, yes. Uh, as the uh, instrument manufacturers have brought their uh, instruments into ASTM, we've done that. We have, we have uh, vetted the instrument. We've determined <clears throat> what its accuracy may be. 
and and uh, so that would be an example of that. Uh, in other cases, that's not available, and where that isn't available, uh, maybe one thing that uh, a facility could do is, uh, and and I guess the first thing I want to mention is is that most test data of machine health is normal. So it's very hard to sometimes do a statistical analysis of normal. We, we need to find exceptions or outliers or deviations from normal to determine an accuracy. Uh, so when those samples come through, uh, an avenue would be to take samples from your local in-house laboratory and send a split of that sample to uh, a known uh, outside provider laboratory that you feel is providing good measurements or maybe two laboratories uh, to determine anchor numbers that they might provide to help you better understand the uh, uh, limitations or uh, what your instrument is capable of doing. All right, excellent. So that's all around the instrument piece, but are there standards as well for collecting those samples and that sort of thing as well? Or does that come through training and certification of our people? Uh, there are many, many uh, avenues to make mistakes to uh, increase the uh, inaccuracy of the sample. And, and of course, one of those would be the uh, quality of the sample itself. Uh, the, the sample should be representative of the main body of the fluid. It should be taken the same way every time so it's consistent. When that isn't done, then additional uncertainty goes into the test data. In terms of people, and I, I think uh, this is actually one that we uh, don't give enough credit for, uh, we could have uh, the, the finest instrument in the world, either off-site with somebody we're paying or on-site for our own use, and get absolutely beautiful data, very repeatable, and then have that number be given to an, an, an analyzer, an on-site analyzer that doesn't understand it. And uh, we could totally undermine the uh, validity of the process by doing that. So I, I, I think your, your point is, is really, really good in terms of, of an asset management approach. There are many avenues of a lubrication program that we need to build up to a strong level. And these different uh, aspects of a program are interrelated. Uh, sampling, sample quality being one, uh, testing being another, the uh, capability, the certification, the knowledge of the practitioner is the third one. All right, excellent. Now, speaking of that, how what type of training is available for our staff to ensure that they are performing the test properly? Is this from the, the manufacturer of the instrument? Is there standard training from, you know, ICML or ASTM? Where do, what do we have available for that? Uh, there are a lot of avenues in, in today's generation that uh, really weren't there when I got into this 30 years ago. Uh, I'll start with the ASTM. If, uh, if a, uh, a facility is running tests and the tests are ASTM tests, there are training modules available through ASTM to understand how to get good data out of the, the test. An example might be a viscosity. Uh, the instrument manufacturers will have uh, training and often they'll have uh, training that uh, one could pay to go toward or even online information available. In, in terms of, of a, a more formal education avenue, uh, you had mentioned ICML. What ICML is, is not a trainer, uh, more so a certification organization. So after completing a, a training in, in a, a topical area, uh, the candidate can then take the test to demonstrate the knowledge and, and the goodness of the learning they just received. Organizations that, uh, that produce this learning 
uh, ICML has a, a very long list of, uh, of uh, companies, service providers that provide training and through their website, one could go and could find the list of what's available and then sign up <coughs> as appropriate. Uh, the uh, STLE organization does uh, training through their annual meetings and, and other avenues. Uh, there are other organizations, I believe, that train as well. Uh, Engineering-wise, and I am a, a degreed engineer, there are uh, opportunities for engineers to get uh, tribology training through several universities, through uh, online classes, uh, uh, many choices that uh, we can make to, to sharpen our skills there as well. All right, excellent. Now, we have lots of opportunities to be trained and certified in administering these tests, those sorts of things. But I imagine setting up the oil analysis equipment requires some forethought as well. Can, do we have to set this up in a formal lab environment or can we just throw it in the back corner of the maintenance shop? How do, does that influence? Does it matter? Is, what do we got to do to set this up to be successful? Uh, you know, to that point, I'll, I'll go back to our history. Uh, we we uh, put our on-site uh, oil testing laboratory in 28 years ago. Uh, we didn't have the, the, the uh, broader depth of instrumentation available for condition monitoring that one could purchase today. And back in that day, the tests that were done were ASTM-based tests. Uh, that were primarily used uh, to uh, market and sell lubricants. So we, we took the tests that uh, were commonly done at a condition monitoring laboratory, and we actually imported uh, that, that type of an instrument into our facility. One of the first things that we did, and the first thing that any facility would need to do, is, is we looked at, uh, at the chemistries involved in, in doing the testing. Now, there are some tests that have very minimal uh, chemistry, and by that I mean solvents uh, required to do the test, and others are quite solvent intensive. Others might uh, require flames and produce uh, gases or smoke. And uh, each of those uh, uh, pollutants that would result uh, do need to be uh, monitored by the facility before the instrument is sighted. So in some cases, some instruments uh, might uh, go into, uh, into a corner of a shop. And there are examples of some instruments that uh, go into the, the corner of, of a shop, such as uh, an oil change facility. But in terms of an industrial facility, uh, it's more likely than not the instruments would wind up in, in, in a corner or some portion of a chemistry laboratory. And the primary reason for that would be to address the fumes and other health hazards. But regardless on that, uh, I think each facility would need to look at the instruments they're considering and have their safety department uh, uh, take a look at it and see what requirements they would need to make if additional ventilation was required or whatnot before they made their determination. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP-accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Excellent. So, you know, there's the safety risk to it, but is there anything from a environmental standpoint, More, I'm sort of more so thinking of, bringing in external contaminations to the sample or having high humidity that may 
skew some of these tests? Uh, some of the tests are sensitive uh, to, to humidity, uh, to other environmental contaminants. Uh, the, the FTIR test is a very common test used for uh, condition monitoring. It uh, produces a chemical fingerprint of the lubricant, which would show uh, oxidation, which show depletion of additives, and so on and so forth. A test like that is really quite sensitive to the amount of humidity in the workspace or the, the amount of carbon, you know, CO2, and, and uh, those contaminants can show up as uh, straight peaks on the test results. So, so yes, uh, uh, there are precautions that need to be taken to make sure the sample isn't degraded by the process of doing the testing. All right, excellent. Now, we've talked a lot about what some of the on-site benefits are. What are the benefits of using off-site oil analysis and how do those outweigh the benefits if they do on the on-site analysis? Uh, you know, every facility will have its own priorities and its own level of expertise and its own longer-term plan as they look at their asset management plan. I would think for a larger facility, uh, having a, an on-site capability may be easier to justify than for a very small one. And what I mean is that uh, if a facility has limited maintenance personnel, it may be difficult to uh, develop a high level of expertise, uh, a knowledge level for those that are involved in the program. So there are uh, some really high quality capable people in, in the uh, larger testing community, these offsite facilities. So a facility can rely on uh, an offsite vendor for that expertise. Now, uh, to decide uh, how, how good the data is, and, and that's, that's kind of the tricky part, uh, one can accept that the offsite vendor is producing a quality product. I believe in, in, in most cases they really are. Uh, one way to demonstrate that would be to do sample splits. So if a sample comes in that seems particularly troublesome at the facility, uh, a facility could have more than one offsite laboratory on retain that they could send the samples to to determine if the numbers come back the same. And, and by having some type of, 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 a, of a cross-check program in place, uh, one would have the ability to uh, assess the quality of the data coming back in. But of course, these uh, facilities have experts that uh, see in some cases thousands of samples a day, and they would become quite sensitive to what an abnormal sample is and are really a very, very vital source or resource to helping the facility make the right call. All right, excellent. Now, there are instances where I've heard concern expressed about offsite testing services that are potentially biased towards selling more lubrication, more services, those types of things. How do we ensure or eliminate that risk? I, I, I don't know that that could be totally eliminated. Uh, every organization does have its, uh, its business objectives. And one might be to sell more lubricant uh, or more testing. I, I believe part of that, a key part of that, would be to uh, increase the knowledge level of the on-site uh, staff so that they can, can make that determination. So, so if... Uh, if one is, is attuned to industry documentation and industry help documents and, uh, and has some amount of offsite training, then, then I, I believe that allows the facility to ask the hard questions to determine if uh, some of the recommendation may be self-serving on the other end. 
All right. So the best defense is to educate yourself, being able to understand the results, see what's going on and really in, interpret the data on your own as a second set of eyes. And, and, and it makes a lot of business sense, too, if you think about it. Uh, when it comes down to it, uh, we as plant people are responsible for our machinery. We're responsible for our plant. And we need to decide if we hire somebody else to do something for us, if they are working uh, to our best interest and at the most efficient, in the most efficient manner. So, yes, I, I, I fully think that that would, would be true. All right. Excellent. Now, how can organizations really evaluate whether they should use on-site or off-site testing services? What are some of those considerations we should use? Uh, you know, the one that comes to mind immediately would be, would be cost. Uh, one element of this would be to decide uh, how much we're spending for our off-site testing and uh, can we make an economic argument to take that on-site. Now, I, I don't really believe that any uh, industrial location would be able to completely separate itself from an off-site service. Uh, the off-site uh, services have levels of expertise, in some cases very highly specialized, that just aren't going to exist anywhere else. All right, excellent. Now, any other thoughts on your experience on using on-site or deciding to use off-site testing services that we didn't cover? Did I miss did we miss anything that you think is relevant to this conversation? Well, let's see what we talked about. We, we uh, covered uh, having uh, qualified and skilled uh, personnel involved with it, uh, instruments availability. Uh, I, I think part of that, I think as, we're, as you're, you're saying that, it, it kind of brought something else to mind. And that would be how do we decide what we need to do with our, our testing program and what tests do we need to run? I, I think that's kind of a fundamental question. And there are industry documents that ASTM has uh, or other information that one might be able to obtain from a third-party training organization that will help us with that. So I'm going to go ahead and share uh, some ASTM document numbers that could be very useful. Okay. So ASTM D6224 is, is a document that provides guidance on setting up a testing program at an industrial facility. Now, it was, it was originally written for the power plant, but uh, the equipment that is not turbine-related is very common to the rest of, of our industrialized capacity. You know, the pumps, the motors, the gearboxes, the air compressors, and so on and so forth, the engines. So, so the uh, 6224 provides a, a lot of good information about uh, how often one might want to do a certain test, uh, how to uh, take a quality sample, how to take a representative sample, and then also provides guidance of uh, what some of the data might mean and where action might need to be considered. So uh, D6224 does that. The companion document, uh, it, it's aimed at turbines, but... Uh, a turbine oil is basically a circulating oil, and circulating oils would perhaps be the most common oils that we'd see in an industrial facility anyway. And, and that document is a D4378. And so 4378 and 6224, I believe, are must-haves for anyone that uh, is involved in an on-site or off-site program or some combination thereof because it provides a really good baseline of what we should be doing or considering. Now, I'd mentioned that uh, those documents have uh, sampling interval suggestions. 
you know, a number of every three months or six months for particular types of machines or whatever it might be. And, and that has an, an underlying point, and that would be that we really don't want to uh, have a condition monitoring test performed if the test that we're asking for doesn't relate to some type of a failure mode that we're monitoring. So, so the test needs to mean something, and we, we need to have an expectation of what it might mean so that when we see adverse data, uh, we have an idea of how to start to react. And so a couple of standards that help us understand data better would be D7669, which is a, a trend monitoring of data. And the second one would be D7720. And, and that standard uh, goes to uh, setting alarm limits. So, so basically with these four documents that I mentioned, it, it provides a very good umbrella of, of uh, the uh, types of things that we would need to consider and, and, uh, and address when we set up and try to manage our program, either on-site or working with an off-site vendor. All right, excellent. So those are some great resources that I'll link to in the show notes so people can easily find them, easily review those. Thank you for sharing those. I think that will definitely help people set up their on-site or better manage their contracted oil analysis program. Now, what's the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with on-site oil analysis? That's, that's actually a hard question because there are many things. I've, I've mentioned asset management, which is one of the things that ICML is trying to help the industry with, with right now. And, and there are actually 12 different areas of asset management and having any one of those 12 areas weak, I believe, uh, uh, can undermine the entire program. So a couple of things that I've seen over the years that uh, one really needs to, to uh, keep on top of, <clears throat> I'll go to the first point of culture. I believe having a, a successful oil program, a successful condition monitoring program, in part goes to the... Uh, uh, the uh, culture of the facility. So I, I'd mentioned earlier that uh, our mechanics will often take a sample uh, because they have a suspicion and they want to have their suspicion validated or not before they turn the machine on. Now, they wouldn't take that sample if they didn't have an expectation of information that could be useful to them. So, so culture is, is a, a huge piece of this. And part of that is, and I, I remember working with a, a gentleman many years ago and he firmly believed that, uh, that the, the biggest difference in a successful program or not was the uh, having a champion of the program, you know, somebody that had the passion to make sure that the 12 elements I mentioned are working well. I'll also mention that uh, one really important piece is the management piece. Uh, having a supportive management team uh, that, that is there that understands the value of the program I think is vital. Uh, management uh, can help fund and improve the quality of a program. Uh, management uh, supports the training needs of a program. And management also, if they uh, believe the program isn't producing uh, a commensurate value as compared to all the other needs in an organization, can cut back a program. So, so that is an important piece of a program's culture and that management needs to be aligned with it and when that doesn't work, uh, many of the other elements break down as well. Right. Excellent. So some great things to culture, the leadership support, all those things that, you know, the soft part of what we do always comes up as being very important. I'm glad you mentioned that. 
Now, we've talked a lot about on-site versus off-site oil analysis, but what is the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? What do you want them to do differently, regardless of what approach they're using? I, I think the most important thing we can do is is uh, is learn and understand what it is we're trying to do. Uh, I, I, I believe a, a program that uh, doesn't have that knowledge has absolutely no chance of being successful, regardless of how many other good elements they have. So I, I would encourage the, the listeners to uh, become educated, to uh, pull up the ASTM standards, use that as an avenue, use the uh, third-party trainers, use instrument manufacturers' uh, information available to them, and really become as, as smart and capable as possible so that when we make decisions for our plant, when it comes down to it, we own our own machinery, uh, we can uh, position ourselves to make the best possible choices. All right, excellent. Now, Brian, I want to thank you first for taking the time to talk to us about this today. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, all these great organizations you're involved in, on-site versus off-site oil analysis? Where can they learn more about all these great things? Yeah, yeah so I've mentioned some organizations. Uh, I, I guess trying to track me down at the plant might be a little hard, but uh, I do work at Palo Verde. If, if somebody wants to try to reach out to Palo Verde and, and reach to me, I'll, I'll try to respond. Uh, but I am involved with the ICML organization, uh, the, the certification, and, uh, and my email is listed through ICML. So if uh, one would go to the, the ICML website, uh, you could find me, you could uh, find among the, uh, the board of directors from ICML some very, very talented people that could offer additional information along the same lines that we've discussed. Uh, so I, I would think those would be two ways to, to reach me. All right. Excellent. I definitely appreciate it. Brian, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I definitely learned a lot more about the world of oil analysis. It's definitely not my forte, um, but you definitely opened my eyes to some of the standards out there that I didn't even know existed. So thank you so much for taking the time today. And, and I sure appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you and, and hopefully some of the things that we discussed will help uh, our industry get a little bit stronger. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.